Welcome back to Energetically You, where we talk about all things optimal wellness, abundant mindset, and wellpreneurship. I'm your host, Megan Swan, a wellness coach and consultant and the founder of the Sustainable Integrated Wellness Approach. I help high-performance women thread more wellness into their lifestyle so that it becomes a way of life and not a checkmark on their to-do list. I design custom, approachable wellness lifestyles because there is no one-size-fits-all wellness. Today, I'm so excited to interview Heather Lowe. She is the founder of Ditched the Drink, a wellness company dedicated to helping professionals move away from alcohol and towards their highest selves. Heather is a certified professional life and recovery coach, certified addiction awareness facilitator, and the director of marketing consumer products for the International Center of Addiction Recovery Education, which acronym I CARE. Driven by her education as a Bachelor of Social Work and a Professional of Human Resources, Heather provides content, knowledge, coaching, and education to individuals and organizations. Heather is passionate about coaching, connecting people with alcohol-free resources, and creating a positive, sober community. Heather shares the bright side of sobriety as an influencer in the social media sober space at Ditched the Drink on Instagram. Heather's writing has been published in Thrive Global, Monument, Tempest, The Fix, Mashable, Corporate Wellness Magazine, Employee Benefits News, and more. She has been featured on many podcasts, including Recovery Happy Hour, Redesigning Wellness, and Decidedly Dry. She lives in Chicago's western suburbs as a proud girl mom of two teenage daughters, Lily and Charlotte, her husband Darren of 20 plus years, and their adorable black and white cocker spaniel, Rocky. Heather is a voracious reader, a newish hiker, and a seasoned yogi. For more, visit her website, ditchedthedrink.com. Welcome, Heather. I'm so excited for this conversation. I'm a huge fan of your work, and I was reading the in-depth bio you have on your website, and I feel like we have a lot of synchronicity going on here. So um, let's dive in. First of all, welcome. How are you? Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm just like thrilled with the opportunity to speak with you and your audience, and our topic is, of course, my favorite thing to talk about. So thank you so much. Amazing. Well, one thing um, I haven't talked about that recently on the podcast, but um, I actually one of my opening episodes was really focusing on the mummy wine culture and that sort of very deep rooted narrative um, there is in society that, you know, kind of motherhood or parenthood goes with uh, you know, socially appropriate de-stressors amongst them are, you know, wine or alcohol kind of at the at the end of your day. Um, and what, what was the sort of, or can you paint the picture of sort of like one of the, the catalysts for you to like really reconsider that narrative for you personally? Yeah. Yes. Thanks for the opportunity because especially in our society, we protect alcohol so much, right? We don't want it to be the bad guy. We don't want it to be the bad thing. We want it to be in our bathtub at the end of the day for release and unwind. Um, we want it to be in the workplace, a way to connect with others or celebrate success. 
So we, we really defend our alcohol. And as a drinker, I did too. I looked for anything else to be the problem in my life besides my wine habit. <laughs> I wanted to protect that above all else. Um, I, my drinking journey started, I'm from Wisconsin. So it was very normal and very regular to start drinking early. I mean, I teased that it was in my baby bottle, which isn't true, but my parents met in a beer tent at a local fair. That was very normal. And I met my husband in a bar in college. Like how else did you meet people back in 1997? So it was just very part of the coming of age journey in Wisconsin. Um, I was a extrovert party girl, had lots of friends. I loved drinking immediately. It was a great escape and it was a way to let loose and it was a way to be included um, in parties and social events and things like that. That continued through college, that continued through my early work career. Um, Now I had a little more money to spend, right? So I wasn't drinking cheap beer. Well, maybe I was drinking cheap beer, but in better places. Um, Going to Cubs games and going to work happy hours and Um, feeling very grown up, I think, going to restaurants and being of age and drinking. It also sort of fueled my career in ways. I was in sales. I was often the only woman on an all-male sales team. And it was um, a way to celebrate a success. It was a way to get access to decision makers and leadership. You could, if you, sometimes if you were at a bar or a happy hour, you could have conversations that weren't taking place in the office. So um, I had two daughters and I worked part-time and I stayed home part-time and I didn't drink during my pregnancies, but as soon as they were born, I could have a little bit of wine in the afternoon. That felt very European to me. Uh, It wasn't until I had a series of deaths, three deaths in a row, um, where I did three eulogies in three years. Um, Two of them were out of order and one was my dad. And this is where my drinking really started to take an obvious turn from a social, a a way to socialize or a way to unwind at the end of the day to um, like self-medication, you know, um, putting the kids to bed or trying to get them as close to the end of the evening as possible. And then drinking wine on the couch alone to, to soothe my grief and my pain that I really didn't want to feel telling myself that I should just get over it. Um, and alcohol is a great numbing agent. So it worked until it didn't. Um, it just escalated over time. And this was maybe going to happen anyways, but it sort of picked up speed. Um, I was unhappy in my jobs. And again, a great way to ignore my unhappiness was to just pour alcohol on it. I think my story is similar to many people's stories. And um, now as a coach, <laughs> I know that um, it's, it's a very similar story. But again, alcohol is celebrated in our society as a way to manage and a way to cope. And it's not looked at as a bad thing. So um, who are we not to look for an easy escape hatch with alcohol? And it works until it doesn't, you know, for 20 minutes, it takes the edge off. It takes the anxiety down. Um, But then the consequences, of course, multiply after that. Yeah, well, I really appreciated your transparency uh, that also, you know, you went to seek help with a psychologist, which I think is another really common way of, you know, starting this journey. And, um, you know, you're immediately without too much chit chat were prescribed a medication, which may or may not have been, you know, the, your psychologist probably didn't ask you a lot of questions about your alcohol consumption in order to do that. And, and that's just a, like what a common story that is as well. And um, I, I'm, I, it's just 
so prevalent that people are taking either something for depression or anxiety. And I feel like it's a conversation that's not really openly had about the relationship between those two things and the commonality that most people are having uh, something at the end of their day that might be, you know, have a specific interaction that makes their quality of life dramatically different based on, based on that. Did you want to add anything? Yeah, absolutely. You are totally correct. Um, yeah, I was, so I tried to tell people that I had an alcohol problem a couple of times. I told my doctor and she said that I was anxious and I thought I was drinking too much and, um, that I was just nervous all the time and overwhelmed. And her response was, you're just a mom. Like that's how moms feel. Like that's the baseline. That's normal. Um, Nothing was wrong with me. When I did frantically seek, seek help from a therapist. Now, hopefully this is not every person's story with, with therapy, but yeah, I was very quickly, I, I went in for a substance someone who was um, specific, specifically trained in substance abuse. And I said, I, I drink too much. I'm worried that I'm drinking too much. And again, the answer was no, you're not because nothing devastating. I'll say that in quotes had happened. Um, I wasn't caught by the police. I didn't drive while drinking. I didn't hurt my children physically, or, um, I didn't land in the hospital. I didn't land in jail. I didn't, I hadn't lost a job because of it. So it was hard to see, um, you know, what was wrong when I said, I think I'm drinking too much. I was prescribed an anti-anxiety medication. Um, but I was told that I could keep drinking. I was elated. I was thrilled. Yahoo. Here's the answer. I'll just take this pill and not feel anxious. And I get to keep drinking my favorite juice, right? Like, this is awesome. Well, what happened is the medication mixing with drinking turned me into a walking blackout on a few occasions. That was different. I would not even over consume. And the effects were different. They were sloppy. They were embarrassing. I would wake up full of shame. Now I would say just because I didn't land in jail or the hospital doesn't mean nothing devastating happened. Everything devastating happened. I woke up full of shame every day. It doesn't get worse than that. Like that is a very low place, even though there's this thought that you have to hit a rock bottom. And I would say, you would say I had a high bottom because I was, nobody would know I had an alcohol problem. In fact, when I told people I quit, they're like, why? I've never even seen you drunk. Well, that was the goal to keep it a secret, of course. And um, I was Waking up and making breakfast, waking up and making lunches, showing up to all my kids' events, you know, seemingly doing, doing everything I needed to do. And I was, I was checking off the task list, but I wasn't happy. I was so miserable. My mental health was the lowest it could be. I was depressed and anxious all the time. And to me now, that is enough reason to quit. Like it doesn't have to get worse than that. <laughs> it's okay to stop and evaluate your relationship with alcohol before it gets worse. Right. Mm, I'm so glad you said that because I mean, that's, you know, kind of a, a community I speak to more, I think, um, because I think as a wellness coach, like this needs to be a conversation that has had just in terms of your overall well being, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. You don't need to be at anywhere where you or somebody else would consider it a quote unquote problem. You could just consider like, how is this affecting my sleep? How is this affecting my relationships? How is it affecting uh, 
um, pretty much every aspect of your life without it being, you know, like uh, an emergency situation, just that it might be having a negative impact um, to some degree. Right. And even I'll just interject this, even if it's not a problem, let's say, the question isn't like, how bad does it have to get? The question is, it is it helping you? Mm-hmm. Even if you're not sure if it's hurting you badly, is it helping you? And the answer to is alcohol helping you is no, truly, mm-hmm. if you dig down for everybody. Now, does it help you take the edge off for the first 20 minutes? Yes, it does. It probably <laughs> does that. And that's why it's such a, it feels like a magic elixir, right? But the aftermath, everything after those first 20 minutes, is it helping you? Is it helping you sleep? Is it helping your health? Is it helping you reach your career goals? And is it align, helping you align with your spirit and seeking clarity? It doesn't do those things. So it's okay to let it go, even if it's not a problem, right? If, it might not be helping, even if it's not <laughs> yes. hurting, so obviously. Yes, I love that reframe. It's such a great, great point. So let's go down the the thread a little bit, follow the thread of the social lubricant and all the places in society that that plays into, uh, you know, whether it be the need that it that it's essential for celebrating, it's essential for networking, it's essential for having, you know, deep romantic conversation, like all of these things. And, and I think, you know, you're not alone at all that the early parts you know, I think why it's such a deep-seated or rooted problem for many of us is because we start so young and connect those two things. You know, like I can't feel myself, of course, you're not yourself, but you, you connect this sense of feeling at ease in a social situation with that 20-minute buzz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some people think that um, like alcoholism or could be a disease. And so I don't, there's arguments for and against that. But I love to call it just what you said, a dis-ease, an unease in ourself, because that's what it is. I think alcohol for me was the ultimate in self-abandonment. I didn't know how to cope with my own discomfort. And I didn't have to learn ways to do that because I had alcohol. So from adolescence, you know, in high school, early high school, I had this thing that let me jump ship on my own self and my own feelings and ease right into some like boozy, buzzy comfort. Right. So I, when I I quit drinking, um, in my forties and I was like a toddler without coping skills, throwing temper tantrums (laughs) because I didn't know what to do with these big emotions, which I, you know, luckily figured out and learned through time. So, yeah, I think we don't know So first of all, any social gathering is pretty uncomfortable in the first 15 minutes, I would say for everybody. That doesn't make you abnormal. That means you're a normal feeling person in this world. And to be surrounded by strangers or or acquaintances, that might feel unsafe. That might make you a little anxious. You might feel like the spotlight's on you. You're not sure what to do with yourself. You don't have the vibe of the environment yet. Going to the bar and getting a drink gives you something to do. It gives you a, if you want to yuck it up with somebody and say, let's go grab a drink. It gives you a mission and action. Every, you can joke about it, right? Oh, let's get drinks or let me get back to every, ever drink. It's a, it's very easy. It's, it's super easy. So who wouldn't want to do that? You know, it's hard to sit in discomfort instead. Yeah. So one thing that I'm seeing as I'm working um, with, 
small corporations to help them bring more wellness first perspective into their policy and their company culture is in general, an interest to be more inclusive uh, in, in, across the board uh, and more thoughtful in the ways that they're positioning their events or, um, you know, so it's sort of like what is mandatory, what is expected, what is quote unquote normal for the company culture. And I'd love, because I know that you're a, an expert on this as well, like to paint a little bit of a picture of what you're seeing, the positive trends, um, because I personally am optimistic. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. So um, work. So first of all, um, alcohol affects all systems of your body and negatively. So it's not healthy. And some companies for wellness do like uh, Pilates and Pinot, like wine and yoga or meditation and then a drink. So it, it doesn't, it's kind of an oxymoron. It doesn't really make sense because if you add alcohol, which is ethanol, which is a poison, now everyone can choose to drink or not drink, but have some informed consent that that's, um, it's, yeah, not a it's, it's literally aging your cells at the very, right. right. It's, it's negatively affecting all of your healthy systems. Now, I mean, I love to do that with potato chips and, <laughs> and you name it. So I'm not here to say, you know, no alcohol for anybody ever, but know what it is. And it certainly doesn't belong in wellness. It's not part of wellness. So coupling those activities um, never really makes sense to me because you sort of undo all the health benefits by then consuming alcohol. Mm-hmm. But um, the positive thing is, so I partner with that with iCare, which is the International Center for Addiction Awareness, Resources and Education. And we have a program called Certified Facilitator Addiction Awareness Training where we are training people all the time um, to be certified to come and do like a one hour lunch and learn type presentation to their organizations to talk about addiction awareness. So addiction awareness sounds scary, but especially since the pandemic, when let's say, for instance, women's drinking has been up 41%, it's time to talk about it. So mm-hmm. the, the silver lining of the pandemic has been a focus on mental health. And in my mind and in my experience, as you can hear, I couldn't talk about mental health without talking about alcohol because it was directly related. And since I've given up alcohol, my mental health is much improved. You know, my anxiety and depression, I'm not on medication. I'm all for that if that's something that somebody needs. But for me, I didn't need it. I needed to stop drinking. And that can be the case for many. So, so people, people are signing up for this training. People are giving this training to their organizations. Organizations are loving it and asking for more because it's totally relevant. And everybody knows somebody with addiction issues, right? So it's you or somebody, you know, or love. So people are really interested in this. Many of them are secretive about it, right? Because there's such a taboo, Mm -hmm. but anyways, there, there definitely is an interest and it's growing. There's companies like Salesforce, for example, big, huge companies. Salesforce has um, an employee affinity group called Soberforce, and there's Mm -hmm. thousands of employees that are part of that group because they are somebody they know. They are for addiction awareness, and um, it's okay to be sober curious, right? It's okay to evaluate your drinking without deciding you want to quit for the rest of your life. It's okay to evaluate your drinking or take a pause without calling yourself an alcoholic. So I think just the language is changing. Um, that we can label the substance and not the person. And I think that's key for anybody in the workplace. You don't call somebody an alcoholic, right? They might have um, alcohol use disorder. 
but alcohol is a drug. We call it alcohol and drugs because again, we want to protect it like it's special, but alcohol is a drug and it's the third preventable cause of death in the United States. So it has, it causes more harm than all other drugs combined is the real truth. So um, labeling the substance and not the person is one thing that companies can do. Getting people trained to talk about it. I think literally hashtag let's talk about it opens doors and is a huge way to connect with people. Leaders sharing their own experience, I think is incredible. But my favorite thing is offering alternative beverages. It's such an easy thing that companies can do. Um, Stanford coined a term um, equally ultra attractive alternative beverages. So for instance, if you're having some sort of happy hour and there's a signature drink, you can offer it with or without alcohol. Mm-hmm. And there's alcohol-free beer, there's alcohol-free wine, there's alcohol-free spirits. There's so many awesome adult sophisticated beverages that you can drink that don't include alcohol. And you don't have to call people out that aren't drinking. Everybody can have a beautiful adult drink. The people not drinking don't have to sit in the corner. They don't have to have a Capri Sun juice box or a bottle of water. (laughs) You know, (laughs) they can have something beautiful with a garnish and a flavor and also not be called out because it doesn't matter. You're there to connect and socialize and everybody's an adult and can have a drink. So those are a few, a few ways where um, companies are changing. Yes. Oh my goodness. I love everything you just said. Um, Let's, I I really want to highlight how you pointed out that there's sort of this spectrum and it's changing to focus on the substance and not the label of the person. Like, I think it's similar to how we're much more willing to talk about mental health issues, just being something that all of us deal with to some degree at some point in our lives. And that it's not that there's not a stigma Mm -hmm. either of the person dealing with it or talking about it. And I think it's the same with addiction and recovery. And then looping back to this, you know, the sober curious, it doesn't need to be about necessarily the fact that you're an addict or not an addict or you're recovering. You know, you could just be someone who is interested in having, uh, you know, an alcohol free Wednesday or you know, like that there being more options at a work event mm-hmm. and um, and it really not being necessary to really call people out in, in any of those those terms or labels. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I just find it so encouraging how explosive the non-alcoholic beverage industry is, you know, mocktails. Like I, I every single time I, I'm at a new cool place or restaurant and there's, you know, even just one stated option on the menu or, you know, increasingly a whole sub menu. Um, it's really exciting. So what let's let's loop back a little bit to the sort of like misunderstanding of it being an effective social lubricant or you know not or but and also this this idea that that's somehow um supporting team building in a company setting yeah such a good point so first of all it must be known a third of the population doesn't drink at all Mm. That's the fact. So some people, because they're in recovery, right? Some people, because they're sober curious, some people are at any stage of motherhood where they're not drinking right now. Um, For some people, it's religion. Uh, Sometimes it's a cultural taboo. For some people, it's health reasons or medication they're on or certain conditions that they have. It's not just you're an alcoholic. There's a million reasons why people choose not to drink. And a third of the population doesn't. 
So you're leaving people out. That's a big chunk of people to leave out when you're only offering alcoholic beverages and your activity or event is surrounded around alcohol. That's already a third of people that are feeling out of place, pushed out like they don't belong and not included. So as far as diversity and inclusion, which is also a hot topic and a necessary thing to talk about and to start to address in the workplace and everywhere, um, talking about alcohol in the workplace or other civic organizations or whatever, is like it goes along with wellness, the wellness goals, being alcohol-free, attributes to wellness goals, being alcohol-free and an alcohol-free or a um, like sober, like a recovery-friendly or sober curious-friendly type of workplace goes along with diversity and inclusion and equity type um, goals that an organization might also have. So yes. first thing is like a third of the people don't even drink, okay. but they feel forced to in those situations and studies show that then they do, mm-hmm. you know, they feel the social pressure, pressure to drink when they really don't want to, or that there's no other option for them. Yeah. I always think back to when I was in the world of dating apps in Toronto <laughs> And how I just had this, you know, like if someone didn't drink, that just made me extremely uncomfortable as a drinker. And, oh and my gosh. How, how deeply rooted that is, like how yeah. you're just like discrediting a, a human being as a possible relationship because they don't have the same relationship with, as to your point, a drug. I had a coworker that maybe would have a glass of wine at Christmas every year. And I hounded her. I I could not stop interrogating her. Like, what do you mean you don't drink? And does your husband, and do you even have friends? And like, what do you do? I did not understand it. I was so curious and interested, but just like, it was out of my mind because I didn't know how to not drink. (laughs) I didn't know how to not include alcohol in everything that I did. Right. So it was like totally foreign. I thought she was a weirdo. I am a weirdo now, like hallelujah, (laughs) but I'll tell you sober people are awesome. And being sober is awesome because it means you have burned through some ships, some ships, right? Like you have, um, figured out a way to cope and comfort yourself. And I think a huge misconception is that sober is boring. And the word sober itself sounds like somber. It sounds like a life of deprivation. Um, when I quit, I mean, I, I, it took me so long to quit because I also didn't have a positive role model. I mean, the only people that I knew that didn't drink were people that had had a problem with it, were slapped on the hand, couldn't drink anymore. And were living a sad life depression because they couldn't have their drink. Right. Well, I'm happy to share. That's why I'm crazy all over social media to share like the happy, joyful life that sobriety is because it's you aligned with your best self. and. I got to actually take action on all my dreams, all my childhood dreams. I mean, alcohol was literally standing in the way of everything I ever wanted. And once I was able to remove it, I've been able to make all my dreams come true, including, you know, owning this business and doing this work and being on this call with you right now. So it's a, it's a beautiful life after drinking for anybody who's considering it. It is tough to get through. It is hard to get away from a dependent substance, but once you do it, it's, you are free to leave the cage of alcohol. It is a pair of wings, right? Yes. Oh my goodness. I completely resonate with everything you just said. And um, yeah, I mean, just on, on the day to day, you know, I, I can't remember exactly. It was really well 
articulated that you were saying like that you woke up essentially, you know, like in a hurry every morning, like feeling like, like you're somehow already behind. And I think that's a really common sense of, you know, waking up to an alarm and, and feeling just not on a deep level, good about yourself, good about, you know, just at ease. And for me, uh, it just liberated so much time. And so then because you're in like a better headspace, you know, spiritually, all physically, emotionally, all the things, the way you choose to do uh, or what you choose to do with all that extra time. And, you know, for me, it's also been um, creating this business and helping other women and, and really trying to invite women who think they might have a problem or, you know, like for me, for a decade, I knew I had a problem. I just didn't see a way around it at the, at the time. Um, but also inviting other women to just try it. Like what, what's the harm. And that's for most um, clients that have decided, you know, to shift out of having um, alcohol. And it also doesn't need to be um, for, from my perspective, it doesn't need to be an all or none scenario to be really beneficial, you know, just to your point of the lovely coworker who only had a glass of wine at Christmas or whatever. Uh, it can be really life-changing to just sort of like take it off the weekly menu or, you know, certainly the daily menu and consider it uh, in, a, in a different light, similar to how you eat bacon or <laughs> potato chips or, or, you know, we're highly aware of how these things can be enjoyed, but also that we're not need and shouldn't be doing them so frequently. So, um, yeah, I don't know if you wanted to share, like for you personally, as a mother, how it's changed, um, how you show up. Yeah, certainly. So first of all, if somebody told me I had to quit drinking for the rest of my life, I would have ran in the opposite direction. So um, that is not the approach that I use, even as a like certified professional recovery coach. I did on-off drinking experiments for three years before mm-hmm. I quit for good. And when I quit for good, I didn't know I was going to be successful in quitting for good. I had no idea that that day one again was going to be my last day one. So it is something that evolved and grew over time. I think you're clients are probably similar to my clients, probably similar to you and I, high achieving, perfectionist, people pleasing. So it's hard for us to start something without knowing the end result. And I want to tell you, alcohol is different than anything else. It's you, you can't project manage your alcohol issue like you do other things in your life. So because it's a drug that creates dependence, right? It hijacks your, it literally hijacks your brain. So once you have a sip of alcohol, you're no, it ruins your judgment, your intuition, your decision-making skills. You can't think clearly. So I'm a big fan of getting rid of it completely for a period of time to evaluate. I mean, for some people that's a day or a week or 30 days, you know, whatever that looks like. So you can clearly evaluate it, but you can, you can take a break without quitting for good to your point. And you can let this be a relationship. Um, Quitting drinking is not a single event. It's a series of decisions over time. It's a series of little shifts and decisions that you make and tuning into yourself and not jumping ship on yourself and learning a new way to cope with some of the, with life that gets lifey, right? So, um, the, of course, the best thing um, that it has done for me is, yeah, my relationship with myself, and then my relationship with my kids. So they have been able to, they're teenagers now, so they've been able to see overcoming hard things. 
um, you know, any of the shame. So I used to wake up, like you said, the first thing I would do is ask myself, how bad do I feel? I knew I was going to feel bad every single morning, but how bad, like how bad was the hangover? And that's a terrible way to start your day. Yeah. So depending on how bad I felt, then I would determine how much I hated myself. If I felt really bad, I would hate myself a lot. If I felt a little bit bad, then I would hate myself less. So again, that's not a way to live your life. That's not the way then expect yourself to be your best self that day. Well, how are you going to be your best self that day when you just woke up by basically punching yourself in the face? <laughs> so um, I don't wake up like that anymore. So just the absence of that has been, you know, life-changing, completely life-changing. Yes. And so I don't wake up and say, I hate you. I wake up and say, I love you. Congratulations. We, we woke up to see another day. And so, um, yeah, so my kids, they got to witness me overcome something hard. So I think it's not that we're perfect or we have it all together. I think it's even more, more powerful to show them that I was willing to address an issue and that I did it really imperfectly and that it was over a period of time, but I didn't give up and mm-hmm. I did make mistakes and um, I am worthy of forgiveness. So um, my mantra, my whole mm-hmm. first year, and it continues to be is change behavior is the best apology. So that shame of the past can't pull me down because every day my marching order is to do something different today. And I think that is really powerful for my kids to see. Not to mention, I can sit with myself. That dis-ease that we were talking about, I can sit with myself. I'm not twitchy. I'm not antsy. I'm not reaching outside of myself anymore all the time to soothe me. I know how to self-soothe. I know how to take care of myself, even through grief even through pain, even through discomfort, even through the first 15 minutes of a networking engagement, when you feel like you want to jump out of your skin and (laughs) grab a shot of vodka, right? I can sit there with me and I'm okay. So they are learning too, that they don't have to reach for something that they can, they have everything they need with them themselves. Wow. That change behavior is the best apology hit deep. Mm. My, my dad was an alcoholic um, and I was always very conscious even as a child that I didn't want to repeat that uh, behavior and you know I got I think my kids were two and four basically when I quit and um, yeah for me it was very much important I mean there were so many layers but one one really important layer was to model that life can be lived, you know, things can be celebrated, you know, all of these things that we so deeply connect with alcohol can happen and it can be fun and enjoyable. It's not required. And uh, I really wanted to show them, you know, a different, a different narrative. Um, so, yeah. And I really love everything you just said about, you know, it, it is a bit of a process finding the tools that really help you be okay with, you know, not having, you know, not, not quitting drinking does not mean you're going to have like wonderful days from here on out. It's more about being open and conscious of those feelings and allowing them in and processing them in a healthier way than just um, numb, numbing them out. Uh, you well, the trajectory of your life and your children's life. So that is so beautiful. I am so proud of you. And of me, I've done it too. And my dad's story is your dad's story, likely very similar. So I think it's pretty bold and badass of both of us to have addressed that and and created a different uh, path 
for our kids. We've um, shined the flashlight on a new way to be. So, and yeah, alcohol is not necessary. And in fact, it's so much better. I mean, it's maybe not just rainbows ahead, but it's more sunny days for sure. It's more sunny days. Mm -hmm. And I just had an experience the other day that was full of pain for me, something that happened that hurt me so badly. And even with that, knowing that I can take care of myself, even when things are bad, is like, that is so incredible. I thank sobriety for that, that it has taught me how to take care of myself. Yes. Okay. Well, one last question before I ask you to share, you know, whatever you want about your work. Um, can you give us some, some examples? Like what are ways or tools that you personally use these days to take care of yourself, whether it be preventative or after something painful happens? Yeah. So um, when you first get sober, if you really want to get sober, that has to be your top priority. And that sounds terrible and horrifying at first. That sounds like a chore. Mm -hmm. What happens is you begin to build your life around these new patterns and these new pillars of things that you believe. And it starts to create the life that you want to live. And it starts to be like the tenants to your higher self and what you want and putting yourself and putting that as number one becomes something you want to do instead of something that you have to do. So that changes over time. So um, one thing I did is I started meditating when I was still drinking and I swear that changed my life. Mm -hmm. Um, Not immediately, but over time. So I still meditate. I go to yoga every week. It keeps me grounded. You could maybe hear how fast I talk. I have a busy mind. I move very fast. I told you I was cleaning out the garage one second before this call. <laughs> you know, like, so going to yoga and being quiet and still with myself and putting my feet on the ground and laying my body on the ground for a moment of silence is um, necessary for me. I date myself. I have a bougie spa gym that has a steam room and a hot tub. And I take myself on a date there um, Ooh, as often as possible, but a couple times a week for sure. Uh, let's see. I journal. I love to write. Um, that is my like creative expression. So again, it's, it's a way for me to pay attention to myself. It's a way for me to hear myself talking. So the paying attention has been number one. I don't just pour alcohol on it. I explore, I get curious and I be a witness to myself and not a judge. I had a really loud inner critic telling me everything I did was wrong. Everything I felt was wrong. Everything I said was wrong. (laughs) And so I have to work very hard to keep her in check. Um, and that includes paying attention to how I feel and letting myself feel that way. So definitely joyful movement community. You know, it's, it took me almost four years to find a group of sober friends. I would, I mean, I tried very hard and I found people that weren't going to be quite it for me. <laughs> and, um, so I've had to really persevere and I've been very determined, but I am happy to report. I finally do have a supportive sober community, um, to add in. I think those are the main, the main things. Underwhelm is my favorite tool. I love to under, when I get overwhelmed with a large to-do list, I have to like slow it down, start underwhelming you know, my mental health comes number one instead of last now. Mm, So many key things you said there. And I think one of my favorite was, you know, being the witness and not the judge. That's, you know, a a daily practice, I think, especially for us, us women. Um, Yeah, I think amazing. Thank you for sharing all those. And yeah, tell us more about what you're personally working on these days. 
Yeah. So um, if you like these tips, so I have a website, ditchthedrink.com. I have a free uh, Sober Secrets Guide. Underwhelm is one of the tips on there. There's a few things. So you can download that. And I write uh, monthly newsletters, um, sometimes more than monthly, with resources and alcohol-free drink discounts. And um, again, I love to write. So blog posts. And as you can hear, I'm pretty transparent. So that's what helped me get sober um, years ago when there was not as much as there is now. But I love to take a deep dive into people's blogs and recognize that I was not alone in my struggle. So I love to offer that to people. I coach people one-on-one. Um, I typically have a short wait list for that. And I also have a membership that just started, an insider membership, which includes a monthly masterclass, two live coaching calls each month with a group, and um, a 24-7 private community on my website where people are gaining support. I think it was the content coaching and community are really the three, like the trifecta for success in evaluating your relationship with alcohol. So I offer that. Um, I also, as I said, work with ICARE, the International Center for Addiction Resources and Education. So I recruit people to be trained like me as a coach. Um, A lot of my clients get sober and then they they want to coach others as happens. So then they um, also become coaches. So that's like a really beautiful full circle moment for me when I start with somebody who can't go one day without alcohol. And then eventually they're two years alcohol free and they want to start helping others. So if anybody's interested in becoming a certified um, life and or recovery coach, or what I talked about earlier, that certified facilitator of addiction awareness training, that too is available to anyone. So Um, anyone can reach out and learn more about those things as well. Amazing. So just to clarify, you work in in the membership and the one-on-one, the the person doesn't need to be alcohol-free to approach you, right? I didn't sort of point at that. Yes. If somebody, (laughs) I mean, you know, so the cool thing is, so because I'm a recovery coach and a life coach, typically I help somebody ditch the drink and then they recognize that they've set up this life that keeps them in a drinking loop. That's not really working for them. So yes. then we use the life coaching to address relationships and career and communication and people pleasing and boundaries and all the things. <laughs> um, but yeah, very few people come to me alcohol free or even with the goal of, I want to be alcohol free. Most people come to me and say, okay, I want to try this or I want to do this, but I have a vacation coming up and I'm definitely <laughs> going to drink on that vacation. And I say, okay. <laughs> and then the beautiful thing happens. They get some momentum being alcohol free. And they're like, I don't want to drink on this vacation because they're choosing it. And that is my goal with people is you, I want everyone to know you lose the desire to drink when you start to see it for what it is. And through coaching support, you're not white knuckling your way for an alcohol free life. You are welcoming it and you actually lose the desire to drink. So like, I no longer want to drink. I'm so grateful to be sober, but that's not how I felt in day one or day 30. Right. So yes, nobody has to be alcohol free to talk to me. Incredible. Yeah. I, I think that's such a good point is, you know, it's not about, or it is about getting to a point where you're making the choice not to drink for completely different reasons. And, um, it becomes a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy in my experience. Um, 
So thank you so much for your time and your energy and your expertise today and for sharing all this, all of the links, all the things you mentioned, I'm sure we can find on your website. We'll share any other links, um, show notes. Is there anything you wanted else? Any other bits of wisdom you want to leave us off with today, Heather? Um, thank you so much for the opportunity, Megan. I would just say if anybody's listening to this and they're considering give it a try, just start and it, imperfectly without knowing the answer, without knowing the next step, right? Just gather more resources, gather more support. And if somebody's listening to this and they've tried and they feel like it's not working, the answer is always adding in more support. That will be the answer hundred percent of the time. So if you've listened to a few podcasts or read a few books or you tried for a short time, but it's kind of like you have periods of drinking and not drinking and you want a longer stretch, adding in more support will always be the answer. So I want to just give everybody that tip. Brilliant. I totally agree. I totally agree. Well, thanks again. And um, I look forward to being in touch. Thank you.